0: The American Thoracic Society, we help the world breathe.
1: This is Jacob Yasha Schneider, editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, welcoming you to the American Thoracic Society's podcast. I would like to introduce our editorial board member, Dr. David Kaufman, the chief of critical care at Bridgeport Hospital, a teaching hospital affiliated with Yale University. His interests include sepsis, acute lung injury, and septic shock. Welcome, Dr. Kaufman.
2: Thanks, Yasha. Welcome to the latest edition of the Blue Journal podcasts. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Danny McCauley, who's a professor and consultant in intensive care medicine at the Royal Victoria Hospital and Queen's University of Belfast, Northern Ireland. He's going to be discussing the recent publication in the March 1st edition of the Blue Journal, A Randomized Clinical Trial of Hydroxymethylglutaryl CoA Reductase Inhibition for Acute Lung Injury. Also joining us on the discussion today is Taylor Thompson, who directs the Medical Intensive Care Unit at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. He is a clinical trialist who serves as a medical director of the Clinical Coordinating Center of the National Institute of Health's Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome Clinical Network. In addition to ARDS, Dr. Thompson's clinical and research interests include therapeutic interventions for severe sepsis, diagnostic approaches to pulmonary thromboembolism, and patient and family-centered ICU care. Welcome, Drs. McCauley and Thompson. Dr. McCauley, I wanted to ask you to start off by very briefly summarizing your trial. What did you do? Why did you do it? And what did you find?
1: Thanks, David. Essentially, we randomized mechanically ventilated patients with acute lung injury within 48 hours of the onset of lung injury to receive simvastatin 80 milligrams or placebo in a randomized double-blind fashion. The rationale for doing this study really related to previous in vitro and in vivo work Uh, and one of the the better papers of which it was based on was uh, Jeffrey Jacobson's work showing simvastatin had uh, potentially beneficial effects in an animal model of lung injury. We looked at a range of physiological measures and uh, safety in what was a small phase 2 study. Essentially, what we found was that there was a trend to an improvement in markers of pulmonary physiological improvement, and there was a significant improvement in SOFA scores in the simvastatin treated group. Uh, There was also a reduction in pulmonary IL-8 as measured in uh, BAL. Dr. Thompson, you
2: and the ARDSNIC group have also been investigating this topic. I wonder if you can lend some insight about what the biological reasons why statins might help ALI and ARDS are.
0: Thank you, David. Yes, the uh, mechanisms of immune modulation uh, attributed to statins are complex and are not related to the lowering of LDL cholesterol directly. Most of the immunomodulatory effects of statins are, however, due to inhibition of HMG-CoA reductase and the subsequent downstream effects which ultimately lead to alterations in G-protein-mediated signaling. Thus, the effect of statins are considered a class effect. The cellular functions affected by uh, inhibition of HMG-CoA reductase are ubiquitous and involve neutrophils, monocytes, lymphocytes, epithelial cells, uh, even endothelial cells. Interestingly, some non-HMG-CoA-mediated anti-inflammatory effects have been reported. For example, statins bind directly to leukocyte CD11A, CD18 and thus interfere directly with leukocyte binding to ICAM. Uh, You know, the net effect is that statins modify a number of inflammatory pathways uh, thought to be involved in the pathogenesis of ALI, uh, including inhibition of neutrophil activation and attachment to the endothelium, inhibition of monocyte TLR expression, and the production of uh, IL-6, IL-8, TNF-alpha, monocyte chemotractic uh, protein, etc. cetera. Now these pleotrophic effects combined with promising findings that Danny referred to from um, both animal studies and observational trials, as well as uh, Danny's uh, promising phase two trial, led the ARDS network investigators to propose a thousand patient uh, phase two, phase three rollover trial of uh, rosuvastatin uh, for patients with established ALI. The enrollment time window is the same as Danny's at 48 hours. And uh, that trial recently emerged from a 104-patient protocol-specified safety evaluation and enrollment is continuing.
2: Thanks, Taylor. Danny, if I could ask you to drill down on some of the results that you presented, that would be great. Specifically, you noted some improvements in physiologic parameters at 14 days in your trial. But from what I can understand, the group of patients who were still receiving statins at the 14-day mark was a relatively small subset of the overall group. And I wonder if you could comment on whether that forms some kind of selection bias and how that selection should affect our interpretation of your results. Furthermore, I wonder if you could help us understand if whether this benefit might potentially be restricted to what appears to be maybe the sickest subgroup of the patients you study, that is the, the subgroup most likely to require relatively prolonged ventilation, and whether you might be able to identify this group uh, at the beginning of therapy.
1: That's, I think, a very important couple of points. First of all, in relation to drilling down onto the findings, It's important to point out that the primary endpoint was extravascular lung water, and it was not different between the two groups. Um, One of the slight difficulties was that the lung water was measured using a transpulmonary thermodilution catheter, which mandates a catheter in the femoral artery, which the protocol uh, only mandated would remain in situ for seven days thereafter it was at the discretion of the attending physician and as a result we had very small numbers of lung water data at day 14. In relation to the other measurements then that we found a a trend towards an improvement, really the the big three were oxygenation index, plateau pressure and lung injury score. And we found that uh, at day 14 there was a trend to an improvement in the group of patients who remained in the study and there was obviously people falling out of the study due to the competing effects of extubation and death. And I think this is an important point, again, we actually predicted that we'd see an early effect at day seven, but in fact, we only saw a significant effect with more prolonged therapy at day 14, which I think is implications for subsequent trial design and the need probably to treat patients for at least 14 days and, and possibly uh, longer up to 28 days. In relation to the, the subset that benefits, I think that's a, a very difficult question again because this is a small phase two. Initially 60 patients being randomized, but as you uh, mentioned, by day 14, really only a third remained in the study, and I think to try to do retrospective analyses or subset or, you know, post-hoc analyses on such a small cohort might present some difficulties, and I think the right thing to do is take this, as Taylor suggests, as a promising phase two that suggests there is a biological signal, but now do larger clinical trials uh, to actually answer this question, do statins have an effect, and it may be that in the larger clinical trials, we have enough data to actually inform the question that you ask, are there specific subgroups that benefit, who we may then need to do further clinical trials in identified groups. I suppose the other reassuring point I I would say is that this does provide us some safety data as well uh, along, I'm glad to hear that the the RDSNet study has also come through uh, a safety monitoring um, point as well with no problems. So again, there's there's a body of evidence suggesting that these are safe to actually test the question uh, in patients with, with lung injury and probably other conditions in the critically ill. So,
2: Danny and Taylor, uh, one thing I think that is striking about this trial, as well as a a number of other trials uh, looking at a variety of interventions, including pharmacologic interventions for acute lung injury and ARDS, is that all of these studies enroll patients who have established acute lung injury and ARDS, and a large number, if not the vast majority of these trials have not shown a substantial effect on clinically significant outcomes. And I think it's important to to note that a lot of the preclinical in vitro, in vivo, and preliminary human studies tend to focus on the administration of pharmacologic intervention before acute lung injury and ARDS occur. And I, I wonder whether this is a fundamental difference in the timing of our therapy and whether future trials might want to focus on administering therapy to patients at risk for developing acute lung injury or ARDS.
1: I think that's an important question and certainly, as you rightly say, so many of these pharmacological interventions used in animal studies are given as pretreatments and certainly. Our previous work that we've published in the Blue Journal used an LPS model and healthy volunteers, which again was a pre-treatment model. So I think there's a lot of evidence to support pre-treatment. The fundamental problem is obviously identifying a cohort of patients who are at risk of lung injury, who then subsequently develop it so that you've got a group of patients who were giving a therapy to who have a significant risk of subsequently developing lung injury. And obviously, maybe Taylor might want to comment on ways in which that detection can be improved based on the work that, that he and you have been involved in. I suppose the, the other issues that probably need to be considered is that, they, almost to turn that question around, is that perhaps in the animal models, we need to be uh, actually working out what treatments work after the uh, onset of intervention, and it's it's those treatments that we should be thinking about developing into phase three as well. I think that's one of the issues that I think we need to think a lot more about is is really a a more considered slow approach to taking therapies from animal work, where the the therapies are given as a a post-intervention rather than a pre-intervention, then into small trials then into larger trials and then into confirmatory trials so that we have an earlier stop point of therapies where we know that they're not going to work rather than have all these large negative trials that we've had to date. So I think there's an issue of identifying an at-risk group where we can intervene if we can predict and identify that group, but also, I think we also need to have an intelligent design of a, a program of trials that actually allow us to identify the best therapy to take to the Big Fears 3.
0: David, this is one of the central questions facing investigators in the field, and Danny has very nicely focused uh, the discussion on the two major issues. One, how best to identify from a very large group of at-risk for ARDS patients uh, who will develop ARDS and who may be a good candidate for a prevention trial. And then secondly, can we get a little smarter about and perhaps a little more efficient in our testing of promising agents in established ARDS? As you know, um, uh, David, in some of your work with Agi Geish, uh, in, a, uh, in fact, in a manuscript uh, EPUB ahead of print in the Blue Journal, The first problem has been, to some degree, uh, nicely approached with the development of a lung injury prediction score, so-called LIPS, and this score was uh, validated in over 5,500 at-risk patients and seems to identify a group of patients who are likely to develop Uh, ALI and this tool, I think, will enable investigators to, in a more practical way, uh, target a population for prevention strategies. So this is a very exciting development and hopefully will lead to uh, further advances in prevention uh, in addition to some of those uh, discussed in a podcast recently related to uh, enhanced processes of care. The second question is very difficult. How best to be more efficient in our testing of promising agents in Phase 3, given the 40-year history of failed interventions, failed pharmacologic interventions for ARDS? Uh, certainly, Danny has uh, pointed out uh, the need for a better uh, Phase 1, Phase 2 data so that we can identify our best candidates to bring forward to large pivotal trials. Uh, recently, a number of us have focused on en- enrichment strategies this is a term used in the uh, oncology uh, field where certainly uh, enriching uh, subsets of uh, patients with malignancies to be responsive to more targeted chemotherapeutic approaches has borne fruit and has led to the uh, realization in some cancers of uh, individualized cancer therapies. might be that uh, the time now is to uh, stop lumping ARDS into um, A a large uh, homogeneous cohort and recognize that there are some subsets within the ARDS phenotype that may be more sensible targets for therapy. Some of the enrichment strategies that have uh, been proposed include direct versus indirect lung injury. This sort of enrichment strategy, as you know, is driving current clinical trials in surfactant administration, at least in children. The direct lung injury cohort may be more responsive to surfactant replacement therapy. As you know, uh, for application of PEEP and perhaps prone positioning, focusing on the severe lung injury subset uh, may be sensible. In addition, vascular-targeted therapies or perhaps anticoagulant approaches would probably be best targeted to a subset with evidence of vascular involvement early in the course. Uh, Michael Mathe and uh, Dr. Nuckton et al. have suggested that those patients with ARDS and a high dead space fraction are at particularly high risk for death. Perhaps a dead space fraction as a surrogate for early vascular involvement may be another enrichment strategy, that is to say to target vascular-centered therapies in the subset of patients with ARDS with vascular involvement. rather sensible approach. Biomarkers, of course, always come up in this discussion. Are there uh, biomarkers that will allow for the enrichment of a subset of patients with ARDS more likely to respond to targeted therapy? Uh, That field is maturing but not yet ready, I think, for prime time uh, as an enrichment strategy.
2: Taylor, you mentioned uh, a recent conversation that I had in the podcast series with Dr. Ogi Gayage of Mayo Clinic and Dr. Andy Burstyn about a study that looked at decreases in the incidence of acute lung injury and ARDS over time, and that decrease may be related to a variety of practice changes that have been taking place in the hospital and and intensive care community for some time. The conclusion of, of that conversation was that with the decreasing incidence of acute lung injury and ARDS, it it may actually become more difficult in the future to find cases for enrollment in clinical trials. And since both you, Dr. McCauley, and you, Dr. Thompson, are actively involved in clinical trials of interventions for acute lung injury and ARDS, I wonder how you are approaching this difficulty.
0: Uh, David, another uh, excellent question. The uh, Mayo experience in Olmstead County is, that you discussed on a prior podcast is really a fascinating and outstanding examination of a nine-year changes in ARDS incidents. The community-acquired cases of ARDS, those largely arising from pneumonia and trauma, were relatively constant during the nine-year period, as you know, And the major reduction in ARDS incidents arose from so-called nosocomial ARDS, cases that develop in-hospital complicating aspiration, uh, surgery, uh, ventilator-associated pneumonia, et cetera. And the improvement in processes care introduced over a nine-year period at Mayo, including a more conservative transfusion strategy, uniform use of lower tidal volume ventilation in at-risk patients, et cetera, have made a big impact at Olmstead County and Mayo Clinic in ARDS incidence rates in hospital. Enrollment into ARDS clinical trials across the 44 network hospitals has uh, slowed somewhat in recent years, but we continue to have a robust enrollment and are a month away from completing another 1,000 patient uh, trial on nutritional practices in ARDS. Uh, Recent enrollment has been driven by an increase in H1N1 activity in the community. So, David, I think your uh, comment relates to what will probably be the changing face of ARDS trials going forward. Increasingly, ARDS trials will either be focused on prevention or will, by default, be studying patients with community-acquired ARDS, which will likely enrich the populations for community-acquired pneumonia and trauma.
1: So I would agree entirely with uh, all of Taylor's comments. We... Certainly in our current multi-center study, which we're just getting off the ground, essentially using the same protocol as the HARP study, as part of our work up to that, did some screening work to look at the incidence of lung injury. And certainly, obviously, we don't have the wealth of of data, either from the ARDS net or the the, the previous uh, papers that Taylor have alluded to. We certainly did still see uh, an approximate 20% incidence of ARDS in mechanically ventilated, which is certainly comparable to other epidemiological studies. So I think that it remains still clearly um, a major problem, but I I think that the big change will be that the the incidence of acquired. Nosocomial, as we're describing it, RDS, will be much less. I think that's also reflected, for example, in the marked reduction in lung injury seen after one-lung ventilation in the setting of esophagectomy and lung resection. And certainly, we use one-lung ventilation as a model of acute lung injury given the associated systemic and pulmonary inflammation but we very rarely now see full-blown lung injury compared to maybe 5 to 10 years ago whenever there was a a reported incidence up to 15 to 20%. So I think the the acquired lung injury is decreasing, but the uh, lung injury that we see in the setting of severe sepsis, community-acquired pneumonia, and and as Taylor mentions, trauma, which I think is a bit more tricky given the, the, the slightly different outcomes associated with trauma. So I think there is still... an a clear need for therapies uh, is the most important outcome um, to be developed for this common condition. It may be that they, they focus on the, the groups of patients that we've just discussed coming in from the community.
2: In this podcast, I spoke with Dr. Danny McCauley, the senior author of an article on the use of HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors, more commonly known as statins, in acute lung injury and ARDS. The article is featured in the March 1, 2011 edition of the Blue Journal. I also spoke with Taylor Thompson, an associate editor of the Blue Journal and an experienced clinical investigator of acute lung injury and ARDS. Dr. McCauley's Phase II randomized controlled trial of statins demonstrated that these agents are safe to administer in the critically ill and show promise in lowering biomarkers of inflation and overall severity of lung injury and organ failure. These findings are consistent with the available information on how statins attenuate inflammation in animal and preclinical human models of acute lung injury, ARDS. We also discussed some of the limitations of this and many other studies of interventions for established ALI and ARDS, namely the difficulty of taking findings from pretreatment models of ALI and ARDS and extrapolating them to clinical situations in which ALI and ARDS are already established. Finally, we discussed possible ways to enrich the population of patients in future clinical studies, that is, identifying subgroups that are more likely to respond to a given intervention. One of those subgroups may be finding a group of patients at risk for acute lung injury and ARDS and giving pretreatment that might lower the risk of developing this deadly syndrome. This has been David Kaufman, Thank you for listening to the Blue Journal Podcast.